0: Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 273, I'm joined by Fiona Mort, head of 1800 respect the National Helpline for Sexual Assault, Domestic and Family Violence. Fiona discusses the barriers and challenges women must overcome in their journey to escape domestic violence, often for both them and their children. Fiona explains how lack of understanding and seemingly innocent questions such as why doesn't she just leave underestimate the complexity of domestic violence and also shifts the blame from the perpetrator to the victims. We also discuss how the community can support the services required to help women and children in need. This is Fiona's version of Be The Drop. This interview was conducted as part of my work with Vinnie's SA, who I am proud to work with and support as an ambassador for the CEO Sleepout it contains content that some listeners may find triggering if you or anyone you know needs counselling or support services one eight hundred respect is accessible 24 hours a day
1: so one eight hundred respect was a key recommendation by the national council to reduce violence against women and their children in 2009 in their report which was then picked up and became a pillar of the national plan to reduce violence against women and their children, we love long titles Um, uh, in Australia, uh, was to provide a 24-7 specialist sexual assault, domestic family violence counselling lines. So we have uh, a range of partners that uh, support the specialist counselling around trauma and we also have a range of counsellors who respond first when you call through. Um, They're also specialists and really well trained and experienced as well. We also have a chat line so um, people can contact us via chat mechanisms or they can contact us over the phone. It's also not a service where you actually have to have been a victim or survivor or be a recent victim or survivor. If something's triggered in your past uh, from many years ago, you can contact. Family, friends can contact, colleagues, people in the community not sure whether someone they know or they come into contact with is experiencing it and therefore how they might respond to it, also make contact and we certainly have a lot of information on our website and we push out a lot of information on social media about how people can help in the community and about connecting not only women but we know the majority of of people who experience any form of violence, domestic, family or sexual violence, are in the main women um, and uh, if they need to contact and want some assistance they can as well
0: and it is a challenging space to navigate and can be difficult for people to a as the victims reach out and b as people around to know when to help and how to support so perhaps if we start with the victims maybe looking at some of those barriers and challenges that might prevent women from coming forward and you know accessing services
1: so I mean, the first point is women are diverse, so they're not the same. They have diverse backgrounds, diverse ages, diverse experiences. Um, domestic family and sexual violence occurs in every postcode across our country and unfortunately across the world as well. So it's, it's not just because you live in some particular area that you're immune to it, it's, it's across the board. So there's a whole range of challenges. Some of it is about fear, fear of what uh, might happen if the perpetrator or you know, their partner or ex-partner finds out that they're contacting a service. Some of it is uh, fear of the family and friends of the partner or ex-partner and what might happen. There can also be shame. There's a lot of victim blaming still going around today um, where no matter what's gone on in terms of any experience of violence, the woman or the victim survivor is not the one responsible for what's happening to them. Um, and we can still see victim blaming operate with, you know, pro- probably in some ways a quite natural question of why doesn't she just leave? Um, which, you know, when you re- when you think about it, one, that says she's responsible because she's got choices and therefore assumes that she's got financial capacity and other sort of independence and uh, resources that she can draw on to do that. And it also serves to take the responsibility away from who's using the violence towards her. So there's fear, there's shame, there's the implications economically, psychologically, socially, in terms of what it might mean for you as as a woman, as an adult. Then there's children, if there's children involved, there's a whole lot of issues that um, women would think about in terms of relationships with the father of their children. Um, children unfortunately at times can be used as a weapon as we get down the track with uh, relationship breakdowns where there is violence involved. What we do know is that the predominant place that, that women and victims will reach out to is their family and friends and so how they respond is really critical in terms of how that, that victim or that woman um, makes decisions from there on. So. One of the things at 1800 is we're trying to ensure that we get the messages out to family and friends as much as to victims and survivors because we know that a woman, if she's blamed, if her shame continues, if she's shut out and her experience is minimised, then she's not going to make contact again. She won't raise it again. She'll wait a long, long time before she actually um, braves and has the courage to actually reach out and, and let somebody else know that this is happening to her.
0: And it's, it's so complicated. As you're just painting that picture, there are so many layers to this, you know, it's so many multiple factors that come into play. You know, really the question should be, why doesn't he just stop? Mm-hmm. You know, or why doesn't that perpetrator just stop? Why, why does it exist? Why does she have mm-hmm. to leave? Yeah. What are the layers? How do we help shift that conversation? The, the barriers, they will be different for different
1: people. So like if you're a new arrival refugee that doesn't speak the language and relies on your partner or family members to interpret, there'll be challenges there. There's cultural challenges, even though culture doesn't support this happening, we know it's an issue for our Aboriginal community, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island community. One of the major indictments is the level of violence that occurs and it's not the culture's fault, it's not being Aboriginal that's at fault, it's the whole connection around dispossession and a whole range of issues. And then there's other issues for women with disability, for women in remote Australia about access to supports and transport and a whole range of options. In terms of the messaging and, and you know, I think it's people have said things, I think out of the goodness of their hearts sometimes, why doesn't she leave because that seems it seems like a logical question to ask we've also heard things like i'd be out of there as soon as the first hit as soon as he first hit me but it's much more complex and much more undermining um before the heat happens so domestic violence if i talk about domestic violence in the first instance It it doesn't start out of anywhere. There's usually an erosion of self-esteem. There's a question and a challenging of a woman's identity. Um, There can be things like isolating her from family and friends, uh, preventing her from going to work. And and we know two thirds of women have got some form of employment and often tactics are about stopping that employment because therefore they're more reliant on, on their income of the partner. There's a whole ways, a whole lot of tactics that go on before the first hit occurs. Now, that can happen over a long period of time, that erosion of identity and self-esteem and confidence, or it can happen really quickly depending on the nature of of the relationship. But at the end of the day, when that physical violence happens, it's after a build-up of a whole range of other forms of violence that people probably are less likely to understand or um, even though more and more our our surveys say people understand it's not just physical, there's still a reluctance to actually understand that isolating from community, isolating from culture, isolating from faith, um, put downs when they're happening constantly that you don't believe you've got the ability to make good choices and you hand over all the decision making power to your partner. That becomes, oh, well, why wouldn't I just put up with it? You know, I've got no-one to talk to. You know, I deserve what's happening to me. Um, So that's the package, very simplified way of the package actually happening. And so what we need to do as as a community, and we have been doing this and getting better at it, is send out the messages that it's okay to talk. It's okay to seek advice and to seek help. Um, we're also sending out the messages to community members themselves as to what to notice. So if a friend you've had a great relationship with for a while, all of a sudden you're not seeing as much or is making excuses to opt out of things at the last minute, you know, the way they they act is different to the way you're you you are used to them acting, there's some of the signs that something else could be going on. And the, the challenge then is for friend or the family member or the work colleague to make a choice as to whether they want to open up a conversation about that so that's that's at that end of the spectrum when there's actually violence occurring however as a community we can send out different types of messages to a lot of the messages that we've you know certainly as i was growing up might have been pervading our community that is about how we actually respect women we respect Uh, Women, we respect girls, and challenging anything that doesn't look like that in terms of comments that we might hear from people in our lives, comments that we might hear in media and popular culture. Um, And that's really where we start to see the prevention efforts starting to kick in. Because at the end of the day, if we don't start preventing it and shifting the way people understand relationships and understand women have a right to be respected, and have you know, control and power in their own lives, we will continue to see the end game of the overt physical, sexual, emotional violence occurring.
0: So it is a complex situation, but there are a range of services in play, like 1-800-RESPECT is one of them, but there's a number of different organisations that are helping and how important is it that we make sure that there is these connections of different ranges of services that interplay and can help raise awareness and provide services in this space?
1: The way that that I and others tend to describe it is we need to make sure our response services, so after violence has occurred, that we've got the best range of response services and what we know is the most beneficial is when those services are connected to each other, sharing information, have an agreed understanding of risk and how to manage risk. Because as you mentioned, power and control is at the heart of, of domestic family and sexual violence and if you think about the range of ways a person can exert that power and control over another person, we're talking you know, a range of behaviours, a range of tactics, as new technology comes to the fore, we see it being abused as much as used to help. Um, and so we've all we've all got to be working together and understand risk in the same way and work together to manage that risk because it can be very volatile. We've seen that unfortunately with the murders of not only women themselves but their children as well and other family members. Um, so working together at that response end after there's been an experience of violence, whether that's emotional, psychological, physical, sexual, is really critical. So the police have a role to play, Um, our health services have a role to play, our specialist domestic violence services and family violence services, and our rape and sexual assault services have a range of things to play in that space. But we also need to be starting to look at how we identify things earlier. The earlier we can get in, the better. If, we, if, we, if we're intervening post the physical and sexual violence occurring, that's really tough. Somebody's gone through extreme trauma, extreme violence, and the impact is really challenging to, to support and, and work through. Prevention
0: is better than cure, and we all know that saying. So the Vinnie's Women's Crisis Centre provides that you know, emergency accommodation for women and children and their pets um, who are scathing, gives them that chance to breathe, to connect with other services and look at their options. What role does that play in this picture?
1: One of the things that we've been doing in South Australia and, and across the country is trying to get in before the woman has to leave. So initiatives such as what's being tested out at the moment about removing the perpetrator and housing them somewhere where there's specialist interventions. We really need to be getting into that and looking at what success looks like in that space. Because for too long, women and children have been the ones bearing the brunt of something that they didn't do to themselves. Through no choice of their own is happening to them and they're the ones that end up leaving. The kids end up having to move away from their school and their family and their friends. Uh, if, if the woman's working, then often she'll lose her job because she's moved somewhere else. So we really need to be looking at it on a broader context, how do we actually enable women to remain in their homes if it's safe for them to do so. Um, we, all, we still know that there will always be a percentage of women that need accommodation immediately and certainly um, our options at the moment are either usually motels or hotels or things like the Women's Crisis Centre that Vinnie's runs. Um, and then the pathway from there into uh, longer-term housing options uh, through other specialist services and and crisis response is really critical. But again, Vinnie's, like a range of our our organisations, are part of um, the whole matrix of of the service system. What we need to ensure is that if a woman connects with the services through the Vinnie's Women's Crisis Centre, that what information she Uh, she provides, she doesn't need to repeat the next time she goes to the next service or when police, you know, if she wants to go down a police pathway or whatever. Mm.
0: And that reframing that you were talking about around reframing it, so looking at ways the perpetrator could be removed or rehomed so that the women and children can stay home, you know, I think makes so much sense. But obviously there's a complexity in and around that and the interagency services are focusing on, on working around that what you know how can we help support those conversations on a broader community context one of the things
1: that i often talk about is i sort of separate it like i talked about before we've got response services that you know most of them are in the non-government arena there is a huge ability for people in our community if they want to do something to donate to reach out to those services to say, what do you need from me? I'm, You know, I might have skills in gardening or skills in transport. They're always looking out for help and I know Vinnie's has a whole range of volunteers that they use in their programs. So that's one way that the average person in the community could actually help. Providing information to their family and friends about what services are available, connecting them up with 1800RESPECT is another way. I think, um, and that's, and if you see violence, if you see a physical act or you're worried that, you know, somebody out at a pub is going to go home and going to be attacked by somebody that they met in the pub or whatever, then you've, you've got an option as to whether you want to have a conversation with that potential victim or whether you want to contact the police or take some, you know, at the end of the day, if violence is actually happening and you're witnessing it, you've got a choice. You can take photos if you've got an iPhone, you can intervene, but that could be scary and that could be dangerous to you. Or you can ring the police directly and actually get some action. Is
0: there a call to arms? Like you know, is your what is your burning passion? Are you think please do you know this? Help us do this. Or what is it for you?
1: Look, I think I think as a community, it's about actually educating yourself about what's going on. We still have a lot of mythology out in our community. You know, when I go and talk about 1800 or in my previous roles talk about violence against women, I will always get the question in the, in the group about, well, what about the men? You know, my, you know, I know a bloke who's experienced it and I'm not trying to invalidate that experience. You know, we do know that men experience violence and they experience domestic violence and sexual violence. But in the main, they experience it from other men. Um, and in the main, all our data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics and other, bear out that the majority of victims of domestic family and sexual violence are women, and unfortunately the majority of perpetrators are men. That doesn't mean all men are to blame, um, but all men have a role. So I think it's about a call out to men in our community to actually engage with this, and a call out to the entire community to equip themselves with the knowledge from valid sources because you know social media is great but sometimes it's not quite the valid source that it could be and Google's great and the Internet's great but there's a lot of people that don't have the thorough peer-reviewed data etc included on their, their sites so it's about and there's an onus on us to ensure we get the information out there but to, to gear yourself up with all the knowledge not of an expert or a specialist, but about the challenges that you can get when you start to challenge this issue. Because at the heart, it's about gender inequality. At the heart, that challenges people, because some people don't like the notion of, of sharing power, sharing control, sharing participation, and therefore you are going to get a pushback. The women's sector's been used to getting pushbacks for decades, even centuries now. Um, as we make you know a step forward we get pushed back so if we want to make a difference in our community let's arm ourselves or or let's educate ourselves about the mythology that still is pervasive such as why doesn't she just leave everything that's about blaming the victim and start to sort of prepare yourself to be part of asking the question well let's not ask that question anymore let's ask Why does he think it's okay to do that? Why does he think it's okay to use violence against another human being? Why does he think it's okay to control and have power over? Let's start asking those questions and that's where the community has a role to play. We've got to call things out when they're there, but we've got to actually look at how we engage all parts of the community in ending domestic family and sexual violence, because we can. We know we can prevent it, we know we can end it, but we can't
0: if we're not all working together.